Good evening. Glad to be gathered with you this evening. Uh, we're going to begin our service with a reading from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that may he, he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and fine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring of the Lord has blessed. And I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous how wonderful is my savior's love for me he took my sins and my sorrows he made them his very own and he bore the burdens to calvary and suffered and died alone but how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous how wonderful is my savior's love for me when with the ransomed in glory his face I at last shall see. 
will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me we're singing how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. We're singing, how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. sorrows, Lamb of God, by His own betrayed. The sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. Silence as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned. Bowing to the Father's will, he took the crown of thorns. And oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. And now my soul cries out, hallelujah, praise and honor unto thee. Sent of heaven, God's own Son, to purchase and redeem. And reconcile the very ones who nailed Him to that tree. And oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, hallelujah, praise and honor unto thee. Yes, praise and honor unto I appreciate you uh, sitting in the center there. 
I thought that we'd just have a little bit more cozy atmosphere than being spread out. Um, I'd be down there, but the light's up here and the cameras are pointing up here. So the people online, which we're glad that uh, they're with us uh, this evening as well, but they would uh, have a hard time tracking me. So I'm going to stay here. Um, You know, there is there's so much hope, uh, so much excitement that was leading up to that Friday. And when Matthew and I got together, one of the things we were really wanting to try to do is um, just help us feel the ups and downs and the flow of, you know, Easter time. Uh, try to even feel a little bit of what they felt. And that's what we're going to attempt to do uh, this evening. Um, but when they were coming into that Friday, man, they were super excited. Uh, they, were, they were just full of hope. Uh, and I want to take you to a passage that kind of, there's so many of these, but, but one that points out, you know, this came to me, uh, that kind of points this out is John chapter 1, starting in verse 20, 43. It says that the next day, and, and the next day was after he just recruited, you know, Peter and Andrew. Um, just, you know, they dropped their nets and was excited to go follow Jesus. And so the next day they decided to go to Galilee and they found Philip. And he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nazareth said, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Now, I know we're just getting a little bit of what's going on here, but somehow Nathanael knew that Jesus knew him. Um, and, the, and Jesus answered him, he says, Behold, Philip, behold, Philip called you, and when you were under a fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Because he knew that right there in front of him that like a miracle happened, how he would know, you know, that thing that he, nobody else should have even been aware of. But it just, it, there was this excitement that just flowed all the way through Scripture, all the way up until the cross, right? Like Jesus was doing miracles left and right. I mean, he was healing, he was, he was taking blind people and giving them sight. He was taking the lame and give, giving them the ability to walk or use their limbs. He, he was... He was healing lepers. He was walking on water. He was calming the, the sea. He, I mean, just everywhere he was going, they were witnessing this and seeing this. Mary Magdalene was one that would have been super excited up to a Friday, right? I mean, she had seven demons that Jesus cast out of her, and it meant everything to her. And, and just... Over and over and over, you just see this excitement. They thought that they were completely invincible. That's just that feeling. What would that felt like to, to feel like nothing? God, no matter what comes your way, Jesus is right there. As long as he's beside you, he, he could take care of anything and everything. Storm can't bother you. Sickness can't bother you. Nothing can bother you. Nobody can, you know, do anything to harm you. And that's how they must have felt because they found the Christ. You know, the one that the Old Testament, like we were just talking about Sunday, the one that everybody prophesied about. This is, this is him. This is he. 
And they would have just been super excited, super invincible. And then Friday came, right? And, and they thought that they were like hit with a typhoon. I mean, they were, they were just slapped, like no way to move forward and just pushed back. And they didn't even, bewildered, yeah. I mean, they wouldn't even have known what happened to them. And, and they were just, it came to a screeching halt emotionally. And everything went opposite, you know. This excitement just kept building. This, this feeling of invincibility just kept building. But when Friday came, it just seemed like everything not only halted, but everything was just moving quickly the other direction. I want you to look at a passage of Scripture that points that out to me. It's in Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 13. But this is just one place of many that just shows the complete despair that instantly began to uh, flood over his followers. It says, That very day two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. And their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And I don't know all the ins and outs of that, but I do know that they were such an emotional basket case. It could have meant maybe, you know, they couldn't see well. Maybe they they couldn't think well. I mean, processing well. But I don't know why they didn't recognize him. Had something to do with their eyes, I guess. But And it says, and, and he said to them, What is the conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that had happened there in these days? I mean, where have you been, right? How do you not know what's gone on? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. Now listen to what they said. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. You see how things just completely changed? I mean, they had all this hope. They just knew he was the Christ, the one that was written about. They just knew that he was invincible and it made them invincible. And instantly they lost all of that. We had hoped he was the one. Yes, and besides of all this, they said, it is now the third day since these things happened. You know, one of the things that I know, and I know that you know as well, is but it, it is super risky to hope isn't it? Do you remember when you were a kid and your parents would say to you, they'd say something like, you know, don't get your hopes up, right? And and that'd be my guess if you have kids or had kids, you know, living at home, then I bet you probably at one time said that too. And and it's all said to protect, right? The reason you would say that to your child, don't get your hopes up, not because you want their hopes to be crushed, but rather you're trying to protect them from getting their hopes crushed, you know? And so, you know, will we'll, you know, such and such be at the carnival, or will this be there, or whatever it is that they're hoping for, you know, you just are trying to protect them. Don't get your hopes up. 
And you know that they got their hopes up. And, and Friday was a hope crusher, wasn't it? I mean, when Friday came, everybody's hopes that were way up just came crushing down. What would that have been like? Friday was an emotional typhoon. Not a roller coaster, it was a typhoon. It was something that you just were certain it was the end. It had left so many paralyzed, stunned, feeling numb. You know, it affects everyone differently, too. I don't know, if you, if you read through and you just kind of read slowly through these, all these occurrences that, that led into Friday, you, you realize that everybody's kind of coming at it from a different angle. Everybody is absorbing this a little bit differently. They're all being crushed, right? But, but some of them struggled with different things. Like, like some of them struggled with doubt. That's what it did. When their hope was crushed, what replaced that hope was just this flooding of doubt that was in their hearts, in their minds. That's that's the way the the two on the road to Emmaus was. We had hoped, and now we doubt. And now we're just not sure. You know, I don't know about you, but I hate doubt. I know what it feels like. Do you remember that feeling like, I don't know if you, if you ever did this, but I did. I was up on like the 12th um, foot diving board, and I was standing on the edge, and my dad was down there who couldn't hardly swim, but, but he's down there, and he's like, jump, and I'm just wanting to jump so bad. I mean, so bad I want to jump, and then I climb back down the stairs, and he would just be like, well, maybe next time, and then next time comes, I'll be like climbing back up the stairs, and I'm just, you know, trying to build my confidence. I'm going to jump this time. I am, I am going to jump. I hate not being able to do this. And I get to the edge and, oh, I mean, everybody would just be like, would you please jump so that, you know, we could go on. Um, but it was just so hard. Do you remember what that kind of thing's like? I mean, you, you know that, I mean, I know that I can trust my dad. He would never want anything to ever, I mean, it wasn't that I couldn't trust him. I know I could trust him. I knew, I knew that he would want to catch me. But what I struggled with is like, does he really know how slippery I am when I'm wet, right? I mean, has he really processed, has he really thought through, can he, can he really control the uncontrollable? And I think that's sometimes what we struggle with too, you know. Can he really control the uncontrollable, right? We thought that Jesus was, like, invincible. We thought that that pretty much made us invincible. Now I feel pretty, pretty... Uh, like anything could happen to me now. I hate feeling doubt. No one chooses doubt either, right? I mean, if you've ever felt doubt, you don't choose it. It, it, like, it. like it chooses you, and then when it chooses you, it just clings to you, and you want to get it off, and you can't. You know, it's like, it's like now, some of you, I know Michael will know this, but like when you're cleaning a duck, and when you're cleaning a duck, these feathers just cling to you. I mean, you're just trying to get them off, you know, so you can get with what you're doing, and you can't get them off, and it's just so frustrating. Or like when you go to the beach and you have sand everywhere. How does it get everywhere? And every nook and cranny, places you would have never thought that it could even fit, it gets, and it's just like you can't get it off of you. That's the way I kind of feel like doubt sometimes. It's like it just won't get off. And it's just, 
you know, you know what it's like? You know what it's like? You know what it's like, don't you, Connor? Give us a testimony, man. I appreciate that, Connor. I appreciate the honesty. I appreciate the fact that, that you know, just realizing that it, it can affect us all, right? I mean, I think we all have experienced that in some way, shape, or form. And doubt can make you feel weak, I think. You know, like, I don't want to feel this way. I feel weak when I feel like I'm doubting. Do you remember that thing we used to do where you're supposed to stiffen up like a board and somebody's standing behind you and you just fall back? We call it the trust fall, right? And I remember, no matter how old I was, if I was 20 or when I was a kid, I remember several times doing this. I always, always wanted to be that guy that kept his knees stiff and his arms stiff and that he doesn't buckle in his knees, and he doesn't flail his arms at the last minute. And I never could. Even when I got older, I just thought then, you know, they're not going to be able to hold this weight. How are they going to catch me? You know? But when I was little and I didn't weigh that much, I still struggled. I just... It makes you feel, you know, like... I just wanted to be the person who didn't buckle. Because those are the ones who impress me. Like, they don't struggle. But many doubted on Friday, let me tell you. And not only did they doubt on Friday, it lingered on Sunday, didn't it? Do you remember that passage of Scripture when, when they went up on the mountain? And Jesus had already shown himself to many. He showed himself to Thomas twice and his disciples many different times and periods. But his last departing time was up on a mountain. Do you remember that? And it tells us there in Matthew chapter 25, after he tells them all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, you know that time? This is what it leads into that. It says, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and they saw him and they worshipped him, but what does it say? But some doubted. I always wish that that wasn't there, really. I mean, but it's there. And I think it's just when, when doubt comes upon you, it clings to you, just like what I said, and it is hard to get it off. But the good news is, let me tell you something, you can eventually get those feathers off if you just stay at it, right? You just got to get some water, and, and you just got to, or if you don't have water, you just got to be patient enough, and you can get those feathers off. You can get that sand out. You just have to stay with it, you know, but eventually you can get it out, and it's the same way with doubt. Eventually you can get it. You just got to stay with it. You you just got to hang in there. And that's why they were up on that mountain is because they were staying with it. They brought their doubts to the mountain and they worked through that. Some doubted. You know, that's one one way that some of them 
came to Friday. Some others had a, just a, a broken heart. They were just heartbroken. I don't know if you've ever witnessed or if you've ever been around anybody that just seems to have a broken heart. It just breaks your heart just seeing it. I mean, you just have this, this empathy or sympathy. It depends on if you've been there before or not. And I just can't help but read through these passages of Scripture that was leading into Friday. And just my, my heart hurts even though there's so many years past. Just hurts what it must have been like for the mother of Jesus, Mary, right? What would that have been like? I mean, I know that we, we are so familiar with this that it's really hard for us to connect there. But, man, if we could, we would just see a woman that was crushed. That all hope went out the door when Friday came. I mean, they, the, way they were treating, the way they were treating her son, and we would know that we wouldn't want our son, even if our son was guilty, we wouldn't want them to treat our son that way. But she knew that he was innocent. She knew that all of his life, even since he was a little toddler, all he wanted to do was love people and help people, try to make things good. Always trying to be a good person. He never did anything that would deserve any of this kind of brutality and this mocking and this pulling at his beard and this crucifying, everything that he under, she had to witness. Would she have had a broken heart? Yeah. She would have had a broken heart. What about Mary and Martha? So many Marys. <laughs> Mary and Martha, you know, they would have just been brokenhearted. I don't think that they struggled with doubt. I think they struggled with an emotional brokenheartedness. I mean, just seeing the one who brought their their brother Lazarus back to life, they got to witness that. So I, I just know that they knew that he could do anything. I don't think they lost that necessarily, but but yet they had to see and watch him be crucified like this, and they were just an emotional basket case. You know, I don't think that there's anything that's worse than a broken heart. I think it's even worse than doubting, to be honest with you. You know, people can actually die of that. I, I, I was just thinking yesterday when I was typing this out, it was just that, like, like the heart is known as like the center of the body, right? I mean, it's like, it's like the lifeblood, <laughs> literally. I mean, it's what pumps. You've got to protect that organ more than any other organ, really. If you want to stay alive, even the, even the brain, I mean, you can stay alive even if something happens to the brain, but you can't stay alive if something happens to the heart. And so when you're talking about this, this pain that is so huge and so mighty and painful, and you're trying to explain to other people how deep that pain is, it makes sense that we would say that it's a broken heart, Right? How else would you relate it? It's, it's the worst thing that you could experience. Is there anything more painful? I don't, I don't think so. And some of you know what that's like. You, you, you know what it's like to have this intense pain, like this pain that, that you would do anything to make it go away, right? Try to, try to get it to go away. You know what that's like, don't you? You know what it's like, Sherry, don't you? 
Can you testify today? I hate that you ever experienced it, Sherry. And uh, I hate that Mary had to experience it, Mary and Martha and anybody else. I hate that any of us have to have something so painful. You know, Friday, it was just full of pain, wasn't it? I mean, you had the pain that comes with doubt, and you had the pain that comes with having a broken heart. And that's two ways that, that, that people approach this, you know, because everybody has a different way of approaching Friday. Some of us, you know, just have a, a sense of despair. I think that there, there's that, you know, there, right? I mean, it's, there's some that had doubt, but there's others that didn't have doubt. They had a broken heart, and there's some that didn't have a broken heart. I think they just... We're trying to hold it together and just not completely lose it with despair. What's that like? You know, I, one of the pictures, it's not a pretty picture at all, was in Matthew chapter 27. But it can be, it can be not only is it horrible, but it can be a, a crazy, powerful thing, emotion. This is what it says in Matthew 27, verse 3. It says, Then when Judas... His betrayer saw that Jesus was condemned. He changed his mind and brought back, brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned in, by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and he hung himself. But the chief priests Taking the pieces of silver said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. What kind of despair does a person have going on in his life? That even though he realized that he had wronged and done something wrong and he tried to go make it right, he still could not. It was so powerful in his life, that he couldn't get beyond it. You know, I don't, I don't think it's... Well, despair can be painful, can it? It can be pretty powerful, and it can cause people to do things that just isn't logical. And it'd be my guess that we'd have people here that could testify to that as well. Just what that feels like, that hopelessness. It can rob you of hope. And, and we could go on because it's not just despair and it's not just brokenheartedness. It's not just doubt that was being experienced here through this Friday. All of these people, remember how they started? Feeling completely invincible, right? Life is good. Jesus is by us. He can do anything, therefore I can do anything. 
and they lost it in a moment. And there were some that entered Friday with fear. I mean, some were hiding. They were just trying to lay low. They were just trying to make sure that didn't happen to them when, you know, that crucifixion, that beating, all of that, that craziness. Peter would have been definitely part of that group, wouldn't he? I mean, he was terrified. He would have never, he, he, he was talking big one day and said, I, I will die with you, you know. He was cutting off ears. I mean, he was, it was just, he was just not afraid, you would have thought, right? But he was terrified when all this was coming down. And three rooster crows later, you know, he realized what fear does to a person, too. It is just, nobody chooses any of this. Doubt, brokenheartedness, despair, fear. It's almost as if it chooses us. You know, Friday crushed hope. That's what Matthew and I really wanted to try to get across it's just how they felt. And if we just think about the times in our lives or the times and people that are really close to us, how they felt, then it's really not that difficult to make this bridge and for us to relate, even though it's such a familiar story to us, to really understand what these people were going through. They, they got their hopes up and what happens when you get your hopes up? It can come crashing down. It can be the, one of the biggest blows that you ever receive. It can be very painful if you get your hopes up. Hope is, what did I say at the beginning of this? Hope is risky. It's risky to hope. But here's what I know about hope. It's what Jesus taught me about hope, and that is that hope is up to the risk. Hope always, it's resilient. It's somehow it always makes it through. Hope is not hopelessness. Hope, it, it can stand more than you ever think, hope. You know, the times in your life when you are at that place where you just don't know what you're going to do, whether you, whichever emotion that you have that we've been talking about, you just don't know what you're going to do. Let me tell you, if you'll just, if you'll just hope a little longer... It will, it will see you through. You know, there's a, there's a phrase, and it's this. As long as you are breathing, what is it? There is hope. As long as you are breathing, there is hope. I would like to change that. In fact, this would be a great tat, tattoo, Micah. As long as Jesus is breathing, there is hope. Isn't that great? See, they thought they were invincible at the beginning. And then they just lost, like, I don't know. But they didn't realize that he just made them even more invincible. And as long as he is breathing, there is hope. Jesus knows what's going on inside of you. He knows your doubts. He knows your, your heart. He knows the despair that comes upon you at times. And he knows the answer to all of that. I want to read one more, well, actually two more, but it's really kind of together here. 
In Mark chapter 15, I want you to see this. And someone ran and filled a sponge. This is Jesus on the cross. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And and when the centurion who stood facing him saw saw it in this way, he breathed his last and said, Truly this man was the Son of God. I mean, that was just a hope-crushing event. And I know some of you are already thinking, like, Mike, you just said as long as he is breathing his last, there is hope. But you just read to us, he just breathed his last. So didn't you just take all hope away? That's why it's really important that we go to John ten eighteen, And it says this, no one takes it from me. This is Jesus talking, right? No one takes it. No one takes what, Jesus? No one takes my life. No one takes my breath. No one takes it from me. But I lay down on my accord. I'll quit breathing when I want to. But listen to what he says. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. That's why when he got all his disciples together after he came back to life, right? He he began to breathe again. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Go, therefore, and do the impossible. Go, therefore, and feel invincible. Go, therefore, and realize that hope will always win out in every situation, every circumstance that you're in. Whatever it is that you have ever dealt with. That's the reason we have testimonies today is because there's people that have walked through these things. And whether they're through them completely or not, it doesn't matter because they are walking through it. I guarantee hope's going to win. That's just what hope does. So, here's what I want to tell you tonight. All of it leads to this. Get your hopes up. I know you've been told, don't get your hopes up. Because this world will let you down. But I'm just telling you that Jesus has given us permission to get our hopes up. And he's saying, I'll never let you down. I'll never leave you. I'll always be there. You always have the power. You always have the ability. It will never let you down ever, ever, ever. That's why even though we walked through and understood and felt, hopefully felt a little bit of what they went through on Friday, we get to look forward to to what has already transpired on Sunday. You know, Matthew read Isaiah passage 1 through 9 because it just talks about this hope that was coming from the Old Testament, like this prophecy. Boy, God's going to send something great. 
But then Friday came and it just walloped that like crazy and just completely destroyed it. But then he shows up again. And he gives us an eternal hope. He replaced a temporary hope for an eternal one. And so he's going to read a couple more verses from that passage. And then we're going to take uh, communion together. And so let me just pray leading into this. And then he'll come and read to us and sing. Father God, we, uh, we thank you so much that uh, you did what you did for us. that you uh, went through what you went through, that you put others through what they went through. And all of that was for their benefit, for our benefit. You have given us a hope, Father, that uh, sees us through anything and everything that comes our way. And we appreciate that so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Conclusion of Isaiah 61. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout out before all of the nations. We can partake of communion as we sing this song. When I survey the wondrous crown on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain. I count but love and for consent on all my pride. See from his head his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flowing go down. Did there such love and sorrow me? Or thorns compose so rich a crown.
I want to thank you 